In our culture, much of the messages that come toward us is putting yourself first. But the message of the gospel is if you want to be great, then be a servant of all. The apostles were arguing about which one was going to be the greatest, and Jesus used a child as an illustration of what true faith looks like. That's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. All right, good morning, everybody. So today is the uh, 15th anniversary of 9-11. Last night we did a concert here, and uh, some of you, how many of you attended the concert last night? Okay, a lot of young people here. We had, uh, man, it was a a full house and it was a great evening. And uh, when I brought up 9-11, I realized that a lot of the kids that were were here last night, I probably shouldn't call them kids, but... um, they were probably babies at the time. They were probably, some of them were five and under, and uh, you know they heard stuff about that particular morning, but they may not have experienced, the way that, experienced it the way that a lot of us did. I remember where I was. I was at a Bible study um, with a group of guys, and uh, we were just were kind of taking a peek. They had the TV on, and uh, we, were, we were doing the Bible study, and we saw the smoke from the tower, and we're like, what in the world's going on? And then as, it, you know, as the news reports were coming, there was uh, clarity on what was going on. That was incredibly 15 years ago uh, that that happened. And uh, I was pastoring at the time uh, in the city and uh, was a fairly new senior pastor in the city. And it was amazing to me to see what happened in the aftermath of 9-11 because I saw more people at prayer meetings than I had ever seen before. You know, we used to have, we'd have prayer meetings and there would be, you know, maybe five to 10 people there. All of a sudden we had 40 and 50 people at the prayer meetings and people were crying out for the nation. They were crying out, you know, in repentance, crying out and asking God, what message do you have for us? What are you saying to America? And remember that America responded, I think, in a great way. I mean, people were talking about, we're going to stand together. We're never going to forget, but you guys all know how we are, right? And it doesn't take long. In fact, it was a matter of weeks, maybe a couple of months until church attendance went back the way it was and everybody just kind of went on with their lives because that's kind of how we are. So here we are 15 years later. I was looking at statistics recently and uh, you know, you can get some different stats from different polls, but what the main uh, stats that I'm seeing is church attendance in America is on the decline. Um, there are many people who are not interested in going to church anymore, questioning the God of the Bible. And so here we are, 15 years later, and uh, we're at a crossroads. We have an important election coming up, and our country, how would you define our country right now? Confused, divided, frustrated. Many people are angry. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot going on, and here we are, 15 years later. There's a picture of the tower. And with all that I could say about, you know, you know the things that maybe we'd want to pick apart and decry and talk about the negative, I want to tell you a story about something that happened 15 years ago of the many stories that I could share with you. This is about a 24-year-old equities trader. 
Uh, just a few minutes after United Airlines Flight 175 struck the South Tower of the World Trade Center, 24-year-old Wells Crowther called his mother and calmly left a voicemail. He said, Mom, this is Wells, and I want you to know that I'm okay. Crowther was an equities trader at Sandler, O'Neill, and Partners on the 104th floor. But after that call that he made to his mom, the man who was a volunteer firefighter in his teens made his way down to the 78th floor sky lobby and became a hero to strangers known only as the man in the red bandana. The report goes this way. Amid the smoke, chaos, and debris, Crowther helped injured and disoriented office workers to safety, risking his own life in the process. Though they couldn't see much through the haze, uh, those he saved recalled a tall figure wearing a red bandana to shield his lungs and his mouth. He had come down to the 78th, uh, 78th floor sky lobby, an alcove in the building with express elevators meant to speed up trips to the ground floor. In what's been described as a strong, authoritative voice, Crowther directed survivors to the stairway and encouraged them to help others while he carried an injured woman on his back. After bringing her 15 floors down to safety, he made his way back up to help others. Everyone who could stand, stand now, Crowther told survivors while directing them to a stairway exit. If you can help others, do so. He's definitely my guardian angel, no ifs, ands, or buts, because without him, we would be sitting there waiting until the building came down, survivor Ling Young told CNN. Crowther is credited with saving at least a dozen people that day. Crowther's body was later recovered alongside firefighters in a stairwell, heading back up the tower with the Jaws of Life rescue tool to go and try to save more people. The man with the red bandana, that's all that they really remember about this 24-year-old young man who gave his life for others. When you think about what Crowther did, I bet you that uh, the people that he rescued that day, he probably didn't even know them. He probably didn't have close relationships with those people. And Jesus said, you know, there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for what? His friends. But Crowther probably didn't lay down his life for his friends. And that's difficult to do. You know, for a good man, some people would dare to die, right? Some people, if, if you knew that person was a good person or if you really love that person, you might take that bullet. You might run into that burning building. But Jesus while we were yet sinners, while we were yet in rebellion to God, the man with the red crown, the, the crown of thorns that he bled probably onto, that's the man, the God-man that laid down his life for us. As we go into this sermon this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to be the greatest. And our definitions of greatness are not biblical to a large extent. We hold up people who make a lot of money, people who maybe act or sing well, people who are good athletes, but I'm not sure that our heroism is placed in the right place anymore. See, the ultimate hero is Jesus Christ, and he's trying to get us to understand what it means to be great. And I'm still a work in progress, too. I want to confess it before all of you. Still trying to figure out, you know, that humility is actually greatness in the kingdom of God. And all it's really an upside-down message to the world. Let's pray. Father, 
as we uh, talk about the greatest and what you say, Jesus, about true greatness, I pray that you'd bless our time, open our hearts, give us ears to hear, and a heart to be conformed more into your image. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're in Mark 9. If you'd take your Bible or if you're on a device, Mark 9, verse 33. We'll look at 33 through 41. We'll talk about the greatest. Jesus has been telling the apostles, and they're a bit shocked and confused, that he's going to Jerusalem, that he's going to be mocked, he's going to be spit upon, he's going to be scourged, and he's going to be crucified. And three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. And when the Gospels talk about the response of the apostles, there's a couple different responses. One is Peter's response where he rebukes the Lord and says, this is never going to happen to you. One of the responses was confusion. They just didn't quite understand because it didn't fit with their theological uh, um, predispositions. They, they thought the Messiah when he came, and now they're excited to know that he, he seemed to be the Messiah, and they were figuring that out. They thought he was going to take the throne. So they started thinking about their own personal uh, positions. This is cool. We're, I'm one of the 12. Can you imagine? Uh, the Messiah is here. The long-awaited hero of Israel is here. And I get to be one of the inner circle, and especially Peter, James, and John. They had just gone up to the Mount of Transfiguration. The other nine had stayed down. They were part of the inner circle. They get, got to see Moses and Elijah. They got to hear the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. They had to be feeling pretty good. But then again, as they go down the mountain, he tells them again, I'm going to die. And one of the Gospels say, say that they were fearful. And another Gospel says they were grieved. I don't think they knew how to process it. I don't think that they could quite figure out what to do. And it even says they were afraid to ask him about it. But they weren't too afraid to argue about which one was going to be the greatest. They were certainly afraid to ask him about his death and what he was talking about in his resurrection. And they were caught up in a, what a lot of us are caught up in which one writer uh, commenting on the book of Isaiah called self-salvation. All of us uh, as Americans, whether we want to confess it or not, we're pretty big into self-reliance. We celebrate self-reliance. And, and in some ways, self-reliance is a, certainly a good thing. To work hard, to make your way, nothing wrong with that. But if we try to do life, and especially spiritual life, without God, we are in deep trouble. And today, as I look at America, as I look at the landscape I'm not sure America really knows what we want to rely upon, or more specifically, who we want to rely upon. And here we are at a major crossroads. And if you look at the pattern that God used with Israel, and I'm not going to tell you that I know all the angles here, but I'll tell you this, what God did when Israel ignored him and became self-reliant and imbibed or embraced the, the deities or the idols of their time, God said, okay, if that's what you want, then you call out to them in your next emergency. And you see how well they do for you. You know, this is a biblical pattern. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know all the angles on how God works in every situation, but I'll tell you there is a pattern. And the pattern often that God uses is to say, okay, I'll leave you to your own devices. If you want to trust in that thing instead of me, good luck. And then time and time again, what Israel did is start to cry out to God. They realized they had sinned and God was faithful. Time and again, the Psalms tell us to draw, uh, well, to, to be faithful to Israel, to rescue them and then draw them back to himself. 
Self-reliance was the root of the problem at the bottom of the Mount of Transfiguration where the powerless nine, Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain, but the powerless nine could not deliver a demon-possessed boy with this desperate dad, you remember? I brought him to your apostles and they could not deliver my son. Please help me. And Jesus said, oh, faithless generation. And I asked the question last Sunday, I wonder what he would say to our generation today. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on sola scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology, intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. He said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I put up with you? Bring the kid to me. And Jesus, with a heart of compassion, asked the dad, how long has this been happening since he was a kid? The thing, this terrible uh, unseen force throws him into open fires, into bodies of water. He, 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 you know, he's probably disfigured. Please help me. And Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. And the dad said, I believe but help my unbelief. And we parked there last Sunday and we said, you know what, that's a very authentic, honest statement. And I told you guys, I've, I've prayed that way more times than I could count. <laughs> I believe, but help my unbelief. And so Jesus rescued the boy. That exchange is in Mark 9.24 where the the dad says, help my unbelief, and Jesus rescues the boy. The demon makes a last-ditch effort to, to try to hold the boy or destroy him, and Jesus says, don't enter him again. And the Gospel of Luke says that he gave the boy back to his father. That's how we ended last Sunday. And I told you the application for us in our day and age is that Jesus Christ raises people from the dead spiritually and gives them back to his father. And that is the story of salvation. And so now we have the aftermath of that scene as we pick up the text in Mark 9:33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he, Jesus, was in the house, he began to question them, and he said, what were you discussing on the way? So they had left the Mount of Transfiguration. They had left this incredible deliverance of this uh, a demon-possessed boy. And remember, one of the things that they had said to Jesus in the aftermath is, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said, this kind, pay attention to that, Bible students, because that tells you there's different kinds of demonic spirits with different power. This kind only comes out through what? Prayer, which told me they didn't pray. And some versions say prayer and fasting. So I'm sure that should have gotten their attention, like, okay, apparently you guys didn't pray. You didn't think of that? <laughs> but then how many times have we been in situations where we look back, we've been in a crisis, and we haven't even prayed? I do that sometimes when I'm halfway through a meal. Oh, this is good. Hey, anybody pray around here? <laughs> well, well, no. I couldn't wait. <laughs> and that should have struck them. This kind only comes out through prayer. Hello? But on they went on their journey, and they started dialoguing as they walked. 
And with all of that backdrop and all that's happened to them and the deep penetrating questions that they should have been asking, you know what they talked about on the way? Oh, they argued about which one of them was the great, <laughs> what? But that's how human they were, which gives me hope. That's how real the Bible is. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. And look, if I would have made up the story, let's say that the, the critical skeptics are right and the Bible is a cooked up story and maybe Peter, James, and John got together and, and said, hey, this is a way to be famous, man. This is going to be cool. I would not have written the story this way. I would have made myself look good. Uh, like I always believed. Yeah, those other poor people over there. That shows you how real the Bible is, how authentic the Bible is. Paul said, when he came into Corinth, says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My message, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Lloyd Ogilvy comments, he said, I have learned this repeatedly in my own life. When my strength is depleted, when my rhetoric is unpolished by human talent, when I'm weary, the Lord has a much better tool for empathetic, sensitive communication. The barriers are down. When I know I can do nothing by myself, my poverty becomes a channel for his power. More than that, often when I feel I have been least efficient, people have been helped most effectively. It's taken me a long time to learn that the lower my resistances are and the less self-consciousness I am, the more the Word of God can come through me. You know, in the upside-down kingdom, the truth of the matter is when I'm weak, then I am strong. You say, that makes no sense to me, Pastor Michael, until you realize that when you're weak, you become reliant upon the power of God because you don't have the goods and when you become more reliant upon God, God's power flows more freely because then you're not doing it in your flesh. Then you're not doing it in yourself. And when you feel a little uneasy about a situation, whether it's a witnessing opportunity or something that God has called you to do and you feel weak, you're probably right where you need to be. And that does not make me feel comfortable. I like being confident. I like being strong. I like being prepared. I like knowing what to expect. These are things I like. Did you hear how many times I said I like it? I like that. Lord, just in case you didn't hear that, this is what I like. That's a lot of Christian philosophy today, right? This is what I like, Lord. And the Lord says, yeah, but let me show you what I'm like. Moses Lord, just in case you didn't know, I'm not real good at talking. God says, well, who made the mouth? <laughs> Jeremiah, I'm too young. Gideon, my family's the least. And God says, good, that's why I appeared here. You know, I had options. <laughs> I could have made another bush on fire in another location. But Moses, I've chosen you. Oh, Hey, Gideon, just in case you didn't realize, I knew you were threshing in private, hiding from the terrible calamities and fears of your time. 
I know things. I'm God. Oh. We're going through the book of Exodus uh, on Thursday mornings, and we're looking at Pharaoh, and when Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's got that stubborn heart, and everybody asks theologically, did God harden his heart? Did he harden his heart? I think it was a little bit of both. But this is Exodus 7.14. Listen to these words. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. You look at the Hebrew word for stubborn of Pharaoh's heart. It's kabed, K-A-B-E-D. It means his heart was heavy or grievous or burdened. The, the way to take the Hebrew about Pharaoh's heart, everybody get this, is that his heart was so heavy with other stuff, he had no room to be open to God. And do you know that in Mark 6.52, a verse that we studied three chapters ago, it said that the disciples' hearts were what? Hard. And it's kind of the same idea. That's a Greek word, but it has the idea of calloused. It has the idea of other things weighing down the heart. And in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel the prophet speaking for the Lord says, those people in Israel have put their idols right in their hearts. And when you put idols in your hearts, you push out. The Spirit. Everybody hearing what I'm saying? When you take in idols of the culture, which are uh, often about self-reliance, you push away the Spirit of God. So God's constantly working on our hearts. Constantly trying to show us what's going on in our hearts. This is Psalm 19. Hold your place in Mark. Go to Psalm 19. David talks about the creation constantly bombarding the world that there's a God. Day and night, it pours, forth its, it pours forth its speech, Psalm 19, that there's a God. Day and night, mankind is bombarded just by the physical creation alone. And then he goes from the wor- world that God made, which is a witness, to the word of God, the law of the Lord. So you could break it down in verses 7 through 11. He talks about the word of God, the world that God made, verses 1 through 6, Psalm 19, if you want to break it down. Verses 7 through 11 are the word of God, the world and the word. And then here's how David responds. This is Psalm 19, verse 12. And this is a rare occasion, but I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because I want to tell you, they've done a great job in in showing what this means. So here's how it reads. It says, how can I know, verse 12, Psalm 19, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant, Psalm 19, 13, from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Go back to the Gospel of Mark. Lord, who who can know the sins that lurk in his heart? Well, the way you know is... You let the Word of God read you instead of you just reading the Word. Amen? You let it read you. When you come into a sermon or a Bible study, come with an open heart and just say, Lord, I'm here because I want to hear from you. I know you have a word for me. And so they came to Capernaum, Mark 9.33, the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. He was in the house. They traveled a ways. And he began to question them. And he said, well, what were you guys talking about on the way? One writer said, one of our biggest battles and biggest idols is personal prosperity. We may not always see this as an idol, but that is precisely what it is, especially when it is our sole priority. 
And the essence of idolatry is that which weighs down the heart and crowds out God. They weren't pondering the glory of Jesus and the power of Jesus. They were pondering their own position. And Jesus got in their kitchen. Have you ever noticed that Jesus asked penetrating questions? Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you're reading your Bible, you say something like this, it's not amen, it's ouch. (laughs) Oh Lord, that's not what I wanted to hear. And then the Lord says, yeah, but that's what you needed to hear. Because I'm not in the business of band-aids. That's not God's business. Everybody realizing that? He's in the business of looking at our hearts. And the problem, the root, of course, we, we know what's going on here. The problem is pride. Pride basically says, I'm for me. Pride is always causing conflict because it insists on being the center of attention. Pride goes before, what? Destruction or a fall. Proverbs 16, 18. This is Walk in Truth Radio, and we have the privilege of coming over this station to you. But the privilege does have a cost, and we just want to take a moment to let you know that we want to thank you for praying for us and partnering with us. There's a way that you can give to this radio broadcast. We do have some wonderful open doors. If you can give to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth Radio Ministry of Living Truth, we deeply appreciate it. Uh, When Oscar and I walk into this studio and we have Cameron doing recording for us, none of us get paid to do radio. We're doing it because it's a passion. Here's how you can help us out. You can go to walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Click on the Donate tab. You'll see a picture of Pastor Michael there. Make sure that when you go to the PayPal account, you indicate that your gift is for radio ministry. If you'd like to send a gift, you can send it to Living Truth 1009 Arsenal Way. Think of the armor of God. Corona, California 92880. Again, that is Living Truth 1009 Arsenal Way. Corona, California 92880. If you have any needs that we can help you with, you can always give us a call. The office is open on the West Coast here in Southern California, Tuesday through Friday from 9 to about 5 in the afternoon. Our number is 951-735-2856. You can find out all that information and directions to Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona by going to our website. If you're ever in the area, we'd love to have you come and worship with us. This is Pastor Michael Lance. We'll catch you next time. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning into the broadcast today. I'm going to tell you about a website that we have. It's a brand new website. It's called walkintruth.com. And on that website, you can find a new devotional. It's a video devotion called A Step Closer. The intention is to help you get a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. So go today to walkintruth.com, scroll down on the video devotion called A Step Closer, and our prayer is that it'll get you a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ today. That's walkintruth.com. We'll catch you next time on the broadcast. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.